Hello and welcome to Euractiv's Yellow Room. I am Evi Chiori, and this week we are talking about the joint meeting over security and defense issues, the EU-NATO cooperation and the EU's new strategic compass. We are also talking about the EU's failed gas projects that have cost 440 billion euros so far, but they are not completed yet. On Friday, EU leaders are expected to discuss security and defense issues. They first will be joined by NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg for an exchange of views on EU-NATO cooperation. Afterwards, it's all about EU strategic autonomy and the EU's new and shiny work in progress, the EU strategic compass. To gain a better understanding on what is happening and what is expected by this meeting, I am joined today by Euractiv's Alexandra Przosowski. So, Alex, the EU's recent first-ever defense review has dampened the expectations toward the EU's ability to achieve strategic autonomy. Is this yet another discussion about terms instead of practical matters? Well, it's true that last year's review um, painted a rather gloomy picture for the EU's ability to develop its security and defense policy, um, not to mention to achieve anything close to the strategic autonomy EU officials are frequently talking about. But um, that the EU can't meet its level of ambition had come also at no surprise to security experts because they believe that the EU is not doing enough to address strategic shortfalls. So the review technically dropped at the moment when the EU was in the process of drawing up something like a military doctrine by 2022, this so-called strategic compass we're talking about, which is also meant to define future threats and ambitions for the bloc. The discussion started when we had a different occupant of the White House turning very quickly into a debate about whether Europe should enhance its military independently from the US. So the strategic compass is now the latest step in those those efforts, um, also to deepen EU defense cooperation. And in practice, it could be the closest thing the bloc could have to a military doctrine somewhere in the future without actually having one. Mm -hmm. But why not call it a military doctrine then? Well, the term strategic compass itself was intended to please and appease those in the EU member states that see the explicit European security strategy as such um, as too far reaching into their own competences. So because obviously security and defense policies, member states competence decided by the capitals and not really by the EU. And just to make it a bit clearer for our audience, for now, when you hear EU military doctrine, the EU strategic compass remains a rather abstract concept. So what is the idea behind it and where does the EU want to go with it? Usually for a military doctrine or for any kind of doctrine, you need a strategic basis. And um, this happened in June 2020 when EU defense ministers um, presented some kind of roadmap for the strategic compass, which is meant to basically cover three, three phases. The first part will be a threat analysis of the EU. Then this will be followed by the establishment of strategic objectives to strengthen the EU as a security and defense actor, in theory, and the creation of political guidelines for military planning procedures will follow as a third part. So this EU military strategy document would be something similar, but of course quite different to NATO's strategic concept. 
It's basically meant to define future threats, goals, and ambitions in defense, while also focusing on six new new areas of joint development of equipment, including tanks, fighter jets, um, and so on. So it will cover um, this and also crisis management, um, capability developments, and partnerships with, with third countries as well. Um, this is at least what senior EU officials have told us last November. And how difficult will it be to reach a common ground, considering that security and defense is a member state's business, and we are talking about 27 different countries, with 27 different interests indeed? It's true that, you know, the contents can't possibly satisfy everyone, um, also because there's a widening gap between member states' security priorities in general. This is also why the document would not be a prioritized list of threats, um, in part because EU governments have different views on the gravity of threats they are facing or the EU is facing. So Southern Europeans and France predominantly are laying more emphasis on conflicts in the Middle East, in Africa. They ask for more engagement in, in those missions, while Russia remains a key threat for Eastern Europeans. So. We have seen this, especially with the crisis in the past few years, and most recently with the diplomatic mess that, uh, for example, the sanctions discussion towards Belarus, Russia, Turkey has shown last year and also um, this year. So it will largely depend also on how Germany and France act in the process and whether they can assure Eastern European concerns will not be swiped under the table. For long, um, Berlin has been criticized by Paris for staying away from international military missions, not investing enough in defense, and so on and so on. And this mood we have seen changing um, over the past year um, because the Compass has become some kind of project uh, of the Germans also during their recent EU presidency. So the aim is to deliver this classified document by 2022. And um, you know it will also coincide with the French elections. So very interesting timing there. Well, Alex, thank you very much for the insights into this complicated matter. Please be sure to check out youractive.com to learn more about this meeting. Alex will be following it very closely, so stay tuned. And if you want to expand your knowledge on other EU policy fields, you can listen to our Digital Brief podcast and AgriFood Brief podcast. You can find them on your favorite podcast app. And now moving on a different topic. Let's talk about how the European Union has spent 440 billion euros in gas pipelines across the continent. However, a new research shows that these projects haven't been completed yet or are likely to fail. To shed some light on the matter, I am joined today by Euractiv's Energy and Environment Editor, Frederick Simon. So Fred, in one of your articles on Euractiv.com, you mentioned a study by Global Witness, an international NGO, on how the European Commission finances gas pipeline projects. Could you give us some insights into the findings of this study? The study was interesting because It offered insights into the amount of money that the EU spent on gas infrastructure projects. And those are labeled as projects of common uh, interest. The study was uh, um, interesting because basically it highlighted two things. 
Uh, first, that there was 5 billion euros that were spent since 2013 on a range of 41 gas projects. And more importantly, it found that more than 440 million euros were spent on seven gas projects, which have either failed or have been put on hold for a reason or another and, and were not completed. Among those seven projects, it was a gas interconnector between Portugal and Spain, another one between Spain and France, one in Central and Eastern Europe, between Poland, Czech Republic, Austria and others. The particularly interesting thing, in fact, is that the vast majority of the, uh, the 440 million euros that were spent on projects which weren't completed was just for one project, uh, the so-called Brewer uh, pipeline, which is linking Bulgaria, Romania, Hungary and Austria to, to the Black Sea. And so for that one project, um, the EU spent more than 430 million euros. So that's more than 90% of all the money that was wasted, so to speak. Um, and the fact it hasn't been completed um, is, is certainly a source of embarrassment for the European Commission. So why did the EU finance these gas pipelines in the first place? The EU finances these pipelines because they were labelled and recognised as so-called projects of common interest or PCIs. Um, they're defined as being parts of, of priority energy corridors which have been defined collectively at the European level. So it's not just the Commission deciding, it also, it's also the member states uh, uh, taking part in that selection process. And to be selected, a project needs to fulfill a number of criteria, uh, needs to be backed by the national TSOs, the gas transmission system operators, uh, which are represented at the European level by an organization called ENSOG, um, as well also um, as by their national governments. Now, the main criteria for being selected is that projects must have a cross-border dimension. Uh, so linking different countries, it cannot take place in just one country. It needs to be a multinational. So what went wrong? Is there an alternative plan to use these pipelines? Or can we say that they have become stranded assets? Many things uh, can go wrong, of course. Um, and so in the case of Brewer, which is the biggest one of those failed projects, uh, it seems there were coordination problems between the countries involved. Uh, if you look at the sections of the pipeline that have been built, well, it's only the Romanian part which has been uh, completed. But the other sections of the pipeline in Bulgaria and in Hungary haven't been completed yet. Um, to my knowledge, hasn't even started. Now, things with this pipeline apparently got complicated when Exxon, which um, was until then uh, one of the leading promoters of the projects and, um, and one of the, uh, the companies with uh, the largest portion of the project to extract gas from the Black Sea, announced that it wanted to sell its license. And until somebody comes in to replace uh, Exxon, then it's likely that the section of, uh, of Brewer located in Romania will become uh, a stranded asset. How has the EU reacted to the findings of the study? Have they commented on it yet? Well, they, they haven't commented on it yet. Ask them, for example, whether they still consider that these seven pipelines um, are, are still considered as projects of common interest. 
uh, and whether the EU should continue uh, financing them, uh, but they haven't come back to me. Uh, I suppose the failure of these projects um, is probably an embarrassment for them. Uh, and this is quite understandable since the Commission is the one overseeing the funds uh, which are being disbursed. What the EU can do is uh, it can go back to the national authorities and, um, and ask them to select a different contractor to pick up the project where it was stopped. Uh, it can also look for other people to finance the project. Um, and the EU can also decide to remove the project uh, from the list uh, of projects of common interest. But then that would probably also have some, some political implications because it would also open the door for the project promoters or the member states concerned to refund the money uh, that was given by the EU. It seems like the allocation of the funds would create further miscommunication between the EU and the member states. Or we could even see cases of corruption arising. Could that be the case? Well, obviously, uh, there's, there's always the possibility um, that uh, there can be corruption. Uh, that is something that probably will need to be investigated uh, at some point. Um, I'm thinking of the European Court of Auditors. Uh, they are typically the ones looking at how EU money is spent. And if there is a case of fraud or corruption, then that would be dealt with by OLAF, which is the EU Anti-Fraud uh, Office. And I suspect at some stage, these two uh, bodies will, will have to look into these projects, and particularly the Brewer uh, one, uh, to look you know, into whether there was corruption or bribery. But there is nothing yet um, apparent, at least, uh, pointing in that direction. And what are the lessons for the future? As the EU adopts tougher climate goals, is it also changing its priorities when it comes to funding for energy infrastructure projects, for instance, turning to electricity or hydrogen instead of gas? Absolutely. So uh, the European Commission uh, has uh, proposed a revision of its guidelines for selecting projects of common interests. Uh, and this was uh, made in December last year with the revision of the regulation on trans-European energy networks. And the main objective there is to align the selection criteria with uh, the objectives of the European Green Deal. And uh, the, the main objective there is to reach net zero emissions by 2050. So um, all fossil gas, all fossil fuels, generally speaking, um, will no longer uh, be uh, funded with the Commission's proposal in December, instead of gas and oil, the funding would go to electricity networks and digitalization of the energy grids. However, gas was not excluded from the proposal. That means gas will not entirely be excluded from any, from any kind of funding, uh, because um, gas will still remain important if you look ahead to 2050. What uh, the EU insists on, though, is that any gas that remains in the system needs to be low carbon gas or renewable gas, uh, including hydrogen, for example. So, so there will be funding for hydrogen networks. The main criticism is that the selection process for projects uh, of common interests involve the TSOs. Um, and according to Global Witness, well, here there's an inherent conflict of interest because ENSOG, the Association um, of European TSOs, is involved in the selection process, while at the same time, the member companies of ENSOG are also the main beneficiaries of that EU money. And after thanking Fred for offering an overview on what is happening with the EU's plans, I would like to remind you that you can find out more about it on Euractiv.com.
I am Evie Chiori and this was your Active's Yellow Room. We will be back on your feed next week. Until then, visit youractive.com for the latest news. And don't forget to listen to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Thank you very much for listening. See you soon.